Okay, ramblers, let's get rambling. Now where it is now, everybody wants a piece of the market. <laughs> oh my God, that is funny! I don't remember asking you a thing. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you? With all due respect, what the f*** are you talking about? Oh, I'm sorry, did I break your concentration? What the f*** is so funny about me? Tell me. Tell me what's wrong. You represent the idiocy of today. I did not know that. English mother do you speak it? Are you listening to me? That's my together, my together. Nice personality combination. Hostile and intolerant. So that's, that's it then. No one else really knows anything. Well, no fake slacks and jacks. I'm Tamam, Mr. Matt Byrne on the board on a... I think it's going to be a very, very busy Friday. We'll hope guys like Kevin O'Neill can keep up with it. You know, he's a Indiana kind of guy. You know, so you can't really count on them being, you know, being as quick, quick as you might think they should be. <laughs> but just, just saying, Kevin, are you with us? Yeah, there's a uh, there's a sign as you enter the state that says "Welcome to Indiana." Set your clock back twenty years. Yeah, well, it's a. There's a guy used to work for me. Well, he was a trader for me. He was a character. Uh, you can only imagine what kind of a character he was because his his acronym was Mug M U G, uh, and he was a character. He was one hell of a softball player. Boy, he hit the ball a mile. But if somebody was like me, kind of, kind of sort of dumb next to him, he'd look at him and go, "What are you from Iowa?" <laughs> Just, okay then. The uh, so all kinds of interesting stuff. Yeah, I, I I worked for uh, my my boss uh, when I was at uh, the bank in St. Joe, Michigan. Uh, Arnie Weaver was from Iowa, and he always used to remind us of the uh, um, the line in uh, uh, Field of Dreams where they said, "Is this heaven?" And he said, "No, it's Iowa." <laughs> God, what a, what a great movie that was, I, Jane. James L. Jones had such an incredible part, yeah, I, didn't he? I, I highly recommend the original book called Shoeless Joe uh, by W.P. Kinsella. Kinsella is one of my favorite fiction writers, anyway, and um, and that's that's a really good book. I also think uh, I really enjoyed uh, Box Socials, which was about growing up in Western Canada in the Depression. Um, was a pretty good book too. Uh, we better dig out some very, of those books. Very, eh? very folksy storytelling. Very folksy storytelling style. Um, I think we sort of need some of that, uh, Kevin, today, because I think I uh, I listened to, uh, well, I don't know why I had the, the sound turned up all the, all the way, not all the way, but I mean enough yesterday with the market doing what it was doing, I want to miss anything. Because I, I couldn't, uh, other than just general, maybe we're up a little too high the day before, I couldn't find anything yesterday as to why we had that horrendous sell-off. For those who... Um, uh, I guess might be under a rack somewhere, or actually doing something, without <laughs> watching the market. I won't say under a rack, although I already did. Uh, the Dow is down uh, 1,060 points, so that's 3%. S&P is down 153, that's 3.5. Three NASDAQ was down 647, uh, 5%. So it, it's about as ugly a day as I've seen without some sort of a, a war or something bad happening. And I just kept looking for some bank or something that was going to have trouble. But So last night, Kevin, I went to... Uh, down in Blue Island, in one of the islands, I'm skipping all over here, but I'll try and tie it together, but I never usually do, but I'll try to tie it together. The uh, I went down to a uh, one of my friends and contributor to the show was actually supporting uh, this lady who's running for Bobby Rush's spot. And the lady's name is, uh, oh, I'll get the name here, uh, the 
Well, I will find, why is that the name not on our thing here? Anyway, I'll find the name. Uh, she, uh, oh, there it is. Uh, Karen Herring, Karen Norrington Reeves. She's the first, uh, congressional, this is the, this is the district from, uh, uh, Bobby Rush is retiring from. And, uh, I'll be charitable, Kevin, and I'll say, uh, ran to Bobby Rush last night, I never met him before. Um, it's good he's retiring. He's, uh, he's, he's, he made it about as far as he can. I mean, good for him. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't think he could do another two, two years. And he, I think he knows it. We well, obviously knows that he's quitting, but, uh, Drive down to Blue Island, rush hour. The expressways are an absolute nightmare. I mean, you can't get on to Kennedy. People cutting in front of people, trying to get in front of lines for ramps and stuff. And one guy damn near hit us because uh, he he couldn't wait to. He was going to cut in front of us, even though we were there. Right. So then we get on the the Ryan and two trucks bump into each other at Thirty Fifth Street. So that was slow. But it was. I, I think Kevin, if, even with people not all coming back to work. Nobody wants to ride public transportation. The expressways are abominable. But it's it's really something. And uh never see a policeman. I mean I did a couple of accidents there was never there was no cops around. And we saw there was another accident a little further down, there's, there's nobody anywhere. It's just except for people in cars. So but it was interesting. And all the all the stuff we talk about about the uh uh different districts and so forth. Um and this is just I'll, I'll be I'll be brief here, or try to anyway, even though I had a it was an interesting time last night. This is the first first congressional district. And it goes and kind of, a, I don't know how the hell they drew this map, Kevin, but it starts roughly between uh, Lakeshore Drive and the Ryan where the Stevenson cuts across. So what, what, what would that be, 24th Street or so? Somewhere in there. And, and kind of okay. sne- uh, sneaks along east of the Ryan. But not all the way to the lakefront. Somebody else has the lakefront spot. Sneaks along with like this narrow little neck. Then it wides out to the lakefront for like a little while at 47th Street for maybe a mile or two. And now it's between King Drive and the lakefront. Not, so it's way east even of, of the, of the Ryan. So it, and then it, then it kind of balloons out to take most of Chicago all the way to, uh, Pulaski at, at 71st Street. So it balloons out west and kind of east a little bit, but not but not really Hyde Park uh, because Hyde Park is east of there. I'm going to say it goes from uh, Stony Island to uh, Pulaski for a while. takes takes in all of Evergreen Park, a little a little spindle of Oak Lawn, but not is one piece between 99th Street and uh, and Longwood Drive, not Beverly. So they, they they don't want Beverly. We're <laughs> doing it's it's bizarre. So the whole Beverly North Beverly well, what area. You, what you want to do is you're you're trying to cherry pick off, uh, you know, different neighborhoods that will where you might siphon off vote from the other party, um, but not enough of it to change the result in your district. Well, but but get a load of this, and then it, it sneaks. We're now east of where the Ryan would be, or west of it. Uh, in like what we call Morgan Park, this whole Morgan Park area is in there. But now it takes in Marionette Park, also Blue Island, Calumet Park. That's where I was last night, Blue Island, Riverdale, Robbins, Crestwood. This whole this whole south suburban kind of not not such a good area. Again, sneaks out west to uh, Palos Heights and some of Worth, but not only half of Palos Heights, right? And then then it gets a little bit of um. 
Oak Forest, against Oak Forest, Oak Forest, it butts up against uh, where we had Keith Pico. It, it, right, well, this, you know what, this, this must be the old district, because this, it takes Orland Park. Because I don't think it takes Orland Park anymore. This must be the old map. Anyway, but all the way down to Bremen, Tinley Park, uh, Frankfurt Square, and, and it doesn't end to, I can't, where the hell does this map go? It doesn't end to, uh, I'm going to say Green, what, what is even Green Garden? Um, we'd way the hell down south here. We'll, it's now down in Will County to Manhattan, which is way the hell south. <laughs> it, it ends up at uh, some road called, uh, I don't know, I don't know the name of the damn thing. It went way, way south of Route 30. And, and as far west as, um, where's the, El, where, what is Elwood? It's, it's out to Shanahan, for God's sake. So the Joliet Army. No, it, it would. Saying the it Juliet Army thing is to claim that this is representing a constituency when it's uh, you, you, can't, you can't identify a specific constituency that's covered in that one. No, uh, so which is kind of weird. Well, yeah, I mean it's just I mean I don't, I don't I mean, it's hard to imagine it would take the the, the, the lakefront in Chicago and the Joliet Ammunition District. <laughs> I, I mean I. This might be the old map, but not the new map, because I think the new map, Orleans in District Six, where where, where uh, Keith Pico, the guy we had on a couple guy, the gentleman we had on a couple weeks ago, uh, was from Orleans, because almost all in Orleans now is in Six. So this must be the old map. Um, but even so, well, even so, why would you do that? And uh, you know, you know, you know what my rule is for uh, um, congressional maps. It's real simple. Your your uh, district must have four sides. The exceptions are. If a body of water cuts you into a triangle, that's okay. Or if a body of water makes you take five sides, that's okay. Otherwise, just make it an identifiable shape. I would agree. I am, I'm with you. And actually, the new 6th district that Keith is running for is almost like that. Well, I won't say, it almost looks like a square, but the edges of it are about as ragged as you can get as they go back and forth, right? So, but anyway, this, yep. this, this lady running, uh, I was, uh, talking talk about a totally different background than, than Keith Pico. Uh, and, and I, you know what, Jan, or Jan, uh, Kevin, I don't, I don't really mind that for the house, because that's what the, I think the house is for, is they have people with like totally different backgrounds. And, uh, this lady. Well, uh, that's what, and, and Tom, that, that's why I said the, you know, you're not representing constituency. So, for example, if you have a South Side of Chicago neighborhood, and then you have a, you, you have Orland Park as an example, or Palos, doesn't matter. Um, you know, the, the concerns of the average resident are different and ought to be represented um, by somebody. And, oh, I agree. and you're right. That's what the why you have the house. So continue. Tell us about about the lady's background. Well, I mean, I, I, uh, she's she's been somewhat of a a career public servant, uh, except for uh, a few things. She's been very, very job-oriented. And at one point, she went out and raised a whole bunch of uh, uh, private money, this private partnership where they trained. Matter of fact, you would have a long conversation with her, where they trained people for various jobs. And uh, and through, you know, through a, a, they had a building, I guess, and everything. And, out of, you know, in the last couple of years, they've essentially got 1,000 or 2,000 people working that weren't working before. So her, her real focus... Yep, okay. Her real focus is on something like now. She's from Chatham. Anybody doesn't know where Chatham is? It's between Auburn Gresham <laughs> and Avalon Park. If you know where the hell that is, it's essentially right straddles the the Dan Ryan from 79th Street 
to 95th Street. So it, it was a uh, pretty fair middle-class community, even though I mean, it was African-American, but it was all single-family homes, bungalows. It was pretty much the same as you know any kind of white neighborhood. Was, and and they've, they've actually done pretty well in that area. But she was, uh, uh, last night in her speech, she said, you know, we need more and more jobs, and we're basically losing the battle. She goes, I have a 17-year-old, and I have an 11-year-old. And when a 17-year-old was young, he got on his bike, he rode up and down the street, and by the time every single night it seemed like there were kids playing ball in my backyard or in my house, and I never worried about anything. She goes, now, I don't really want them. She goes, the amount of people that were legitimate, really, you know, working class people that are gone from the neighborhood is startling, even on my block. She goes, she goes the numbers, it's more like 200,000 black people have left the city in the last 10 to 15 years. He goes, and these are these are the families, the people who can't stand him here. It was like she was listening to the show, for God's sake. And she goes, she goes. And, well, and, and how many times have you talked about the cost of transportation to work in the Chicago area, uh, and 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 what that's about? You know, the, the jobs have to be in the neighborhoods, and that's what Enterprise Zones was all about. And it's gotten it it, it, it that took off. After the uh, after that, te- it was included in the most recent tax bill, and and that enterprise zones took off for a while, but they're not getting emphasized now, and I think that's a shame because that is how you create uh, more stable neighborhoods is by having the jobs in the neighborhoods so that people can afford to stay there, go to work every day, and work in, in jobs that are pretty good jobs. Well, um, it's also the same initiative that uh, Magic Johnson has done in, in Los Angeles, where he's gone, aside from his ownership of the Dodgers and all that, where, you know, his business interests have all been about creating, you know, putting businesses into uh, into underserved neighborhoods so that uh, people could live and work there and build up the standard of living. I think it's a terrific model. Well, she was saying that every one of her relatives, like on a monthly basis, told her you got to get out of there. And she goes, I just made the decision I'm going to stay. And hopefully I can be part of the, the resurrection of the place. She goes, but it's nowhere near like it was 20 years ago or 15. So I'm close. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I really applaud her enthusiasm. Kevin, have we ever seen a situation where, where neighborhoods come back with, with anywhere near the same people type of thing? Or, I, mean, I could see 30 years from now, you know, if, if you... If you've got a people that you know own all the property and everything, and everybody's gone, and it's a total wasteland, or maybe you can push the rest of the people out because you have transportation and so forth. You know, you've got the red line, you've got expressways. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think that there's a there's a kind of a slippery slope here with Chicago and maybe a few other places. It clearly happened in Akron, and it happened in Canton, and it happened in uh, you know it's happened in Peoria where they just keep losing and losing. Is is there a spot where you where you can't come back as much as as much as I don't sound like it, I'm pretty much of an optimist all the time, but uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I honestly don't know the answer. I mean, is, is it is it worth pushing? I mean, I, I've spent 30 years of my life trying to maintain what I consider to be fair and orderly markets, both as a board member and pushing stuff when I was on the SIBO and even after writing things and being on the show. I'm not getting anywhere. I mean, there's at one point you just say the hell with it. 
I think it's real easy to do that. You know, and, and your your question, you know, ultimately was, uh, um, have you seen a neighborhood come back with the same people? And not that I can think of in Chicago. Uh, I, I can I've seen a lot of revival here in Elkhart, which uh, you know where it, it's the same people, and and they're working. But uh, but it's a, it's a, such a different situation. You know, the the only alternative isn't you know it isn't to move out to some suburb. It's you're where you're going to be. If if you want to leave, you're leaving the area altogether. So, um, it, it, you know, as as they've had more investment in manufacturing and warehousing here that create pretty good jobs, and and at least you know even if you're living paycheck to paycheck, you're not you're not serving mac and cheese every day uh, to the kids. You know? Yeah. Uh, as a meal, um, so uh, you know it's there. It, 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 it can be done, but again, you, you the, the the businesses with the jobs that pay pretty well. That you know anything that's not retail or fast food, and even those are paying better. But uh, they're never never going to keep up with what we're seeing now with the inflation we're seeing now. Anyway, I digress. You know, if if you can put the jobs where the people are. Then that's going to improve the area, um, and we just don't see a lot of people willing to invest. And in fact, in Chicago, uh, we're you know how much flight is there just because of the uh, um, crime situation in Chicago. So it, it's you know it's, you have to have financial incentives for people to invest to stay there, and then you have to have a willingness to make it a good place for a business to operate. I don't I mean I just. I always have likened, uh, and I, I think Kevin, I have a reasonable understanding as much as anybody does that of, of the ec- economic systems. And the more and more I look at ones that are are working versus ones that aren't, there, there's a there's a vibrancy to the ones that are working with all kinds of people making all kinds of decisions that, without them even knowing it, not only help themselves but help other people. And uh, and it's, it's, it's uh, the only thing I can possibly compare it to is 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 the human body. When when you know you got the brain tells the heart to pump, the heart gives the blood to the brain to tell it to pump. You eat stuff, you poop stuff, and and and, and but so if somebody's laying there dead, you can't just say, God, if we can just get this body eating or pooping again, everything would be okay. You don't even know where it starts. You don't you know it, it either all works or it doesn't, and I. And I don't know what you do in these areas when it's all just going downhill and people are afraid and, and don't even want to. I, mean, I, I think it's going to take half a generation for people to want to come downtown again. When I'm right on these expressways. It's going to take. It's going to take that, and it's going to take a handful of people who are really talented and really good at what they do, and they're not going to give up. Um, and. You know, it's it's like any you know, it's like my rule of project management. There's all kinds of things for a, a big project that you're supposed to do to structure it and control it and so on. In the end, it happens by the force of will of a handful of people. Well, <laughs> well that is the truth. And you know, if it wasn't honestly, if it wasn't that, for George Washington and a handful of people, where would we be? That, that would be an example. <laughs> that would be yeah. a good example. Um, but you know that that's on a micro level in a business. It's on a macro level in, and and we you know we we need really strong uh, you know philosopher king type of uh, um, uh, political leaders too, and we just don't have them. Well, who's the guy that uh, 
Well, none of the, none of the conservatives like, but uh, I actually listened to him. What the hell was that? I was in high school or something. He came and spoke. Uh, Saul Alinsky. You know that name, obviously. He was. He was yeah, I know. I, yeah. You know, I know him, and I know why none of the conservatives like him. But don't. But he's an interesting guy, and he, as as an organizer, he was really good at what he did. Well, I don't think I don't think any. I don't care how conservative you are, to not think that there was a problem, like Lou says, but he's not a Mister Union guy. And he goes, but I, there's no way I could have uh, opposed the the unions in Western Pennsylvania in the coal mines. He goes, it was just so bad. But I'm going to say the, the oh sure child la- child labor uh, uh, work week uh, you know all all of those things um, you know there's a, there's a really good book if you if you want to see um, the both the value of unions and then unions getting out of control is read the reckoning it's from the 1980s written by David Halberstam and it's uh, it it was written because we were experiencing. Um, the auto industry, the U.S. auto industries, um, almost almost demise at the hands of the Japanese uh, manufacturers, and uh, so it was written in the 1980s. But it was a parallel history of Ford and Nissan Motors, and the roles of unions in both of them. And you know, the the Japanese uh, management people were much more heavy-handed and uh, and and unwilling to lose to their unions. Uh, so it, you know, it, it's not all uh, you know. Uh, uh, how did Al, Al, uh, Al McGuire call it? Seashells and balloons. But nevertheless, you saw a, par- uh, a difference between a cooperative arrangement with management and unions and an adversarial relationship between management and unions, and unions getting the upper hand and just beating the crap out of them. It's sort of like the uh, Major League Baseball Players Association who beats the crap out of the owners just about every time. Well, except that the you're not holding a tag team for the owners. And I don't think the players ever really find out how much those guys are making. No, yeah, no. I, I, again, you know, my attitude always when they have labor strife is it's it's the uh, rich people fighting over how much how they're going to divide everything up and just let me know when you're ready to play because I really don't give a damn who wins. Well, but it's 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 sort of that way at the in the, in the, well, I'm not, this is not turning into kind of a, a union thing, but I mean, when, when people say that the unions got to a point, they probably got to a bureaucratic malaise point, the same as the automakers were all the whole way. <laughs> they, they got just as bad. Let's put, I don't know if they ever got any worse, but they got just as bad. I mean, you're talking about... Well, and, and they, they have, you know, we talk about Major League Baseball and not, not know, knowing the full revenue sources. We see that a lot, especially in public sector unions, where all of a sudden they also have control of private businesses that happen to sell their services to yeah. the public sector. So in Wisconsin, it was uh, it was uh, health insurance um, that the teachers' union was um, forcing on the whole state, and they owned the health insurance uh, brokerage, so they were making a, f- a fortune off of it, but that was separate from what the union earned and in fact the union leadership was were the ones benefiting most from that and as soon as they passed act 9 there and uh and different uh, different groups started opting out of that plan all of a sudden uh um, the cities the towns and throughout Wisconsin were saving a fortune on um, on health insurance for their uh, teachers all right, I don't so he, when I, all all I'm saying is you get this creeping corruption uh, that builds in anytime someone starts to acquire power, and it is really, really a hard thing to resist. Well, I, it is. I would love to see. I'm not capable of it. 
uh, I don't think. I mean, I don't think I am. I don't have any staff or anything to do that kind of stuff. All we do is trade all day. Uh, but one of the interesting things that of, of having class for Milton, for Milton Friedman, I use his name too much, but he, he would talk about studies he would like to do and didn't have the time. And I'm going to say, Kevin, one of the most interesting studies over a long period of time would be when you have, when, when I, if you go, go to, uh, if you're ever in the area, you're near Fort Wayne, just hanging around Fort Wayne, go to the Auburn Duesenberg Cord Museum in Auburn, Indiana. But it, it's not just to see the gorgeous cars. I mean, uh, hell, even Mac could find a girlfriend and be driving around in a Duesenberg, I think. But uh, the, uh, uh, <laughs> shout out poor Matt. Uh, but I'm <laughs> saying, but the history in there of the auto companies used to be, everybody thinks that Michigan and Detroit was, was the center of the auto business. When it first started, there were 16 auto manufacturers in the state of Indiana. I'm going to say Indiana was by far, early on, the the, the epicenter of auto production. So we, we work our way down. We had uh, South, South Bend had Studebaker, you're right, Auburns and things like the Fort Wayne. Um, you know, yeah, we had, uh, uh, there, there were a lot once upon a time. Well, let's, uh, let's go to break and then we come back, we'll kind of finish the story because it's how you, how you determine who's fighting against who. As S&P futures uh, down 26, Nasdaq futures down 111. So no respite appears from the carnage yesterday. Be right back, Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com/jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. 
I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now. Right here, right there, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stacks and Jackson. I'm Tom Matt Byrne on the board. SP Futures down 27.50. NASDAQ Futures down 122. Uh, Dow Futures down 149. Individual stocks in the Dow. Goldman Sachs down 2. We got J&J down 130. McDonald's down 190. Microsoft down 274. Nike down two thirteen, so <clears throat> a lot of stocks are taking a, a pretty pretty reasonable hit here um, over the last few days. Uh, we had the one update, but yesterday I would I would never have dreamed I, I wouldn't have bet one out of a hundred yesterday that we would have been down more than we were up the day before. I don't know I don't know where that came from, but but it was but it was there was no denying it. Uh, Nikkei um, was up one eighty five point seven percent. Shanghai down sixty six that's that's two percent. Hang Seng down seven ninety one. Ouch. That's 3.8%. Um, so not good there. Over in Europe, DAX down 197, 1.4%. FTSE down 73. That's a full 1%. around down 100. That's 1.6%. Uh, bonds. We got the 30-year, uh, 10-year, I'm sorry, of three basis points to 3.1 now. 3.1, it's the highest in like a long, long time. Uh, Bund over 1, 1.08. Japan even up, up 1 to 0.25. Uh, so these, these rates are, are scooting up here. We have yesterday again, the Dow was down 1,063, 3%, S&P down 153, 3.5%, NASDAQ down 647, that's 5%. 5%, one day, that's, un, without a bank going under, without anything crazy like that, that, that's, I don't think I've seen that twice in my entire time I've, I've been in the business. Uh, oil up 229, 110.55. As Kramer says, don't worry about it, well, inflation's coming down. A Brent up 240, 113.30. Natural gas up 8 cents, 8.86 on the natural gas. Arba up 4 cents, 3.70. Most of the places I drove city yesterday were 4.50, 4.70. It's getting getting pretty pricey. Mm, yeah. uh, gold up 7.40 to 18.83, but it was down heavy yesterday as the market went down. <clears throat> we got silver unchanged at 22.43. We got copper down a penny at 4.27, and we have Bitcoin. Which kind of heading south too, down 302 to 35,785. A lot of stuff there. 129 billion wiped off the currency market, uh, cryptocurrency market yesterday. That's a lot of dough. Uh, 
Matt, what do you got for us for Heavy Weather Sports? Yeah, good morning. It's currently 6.36 a.m. Uh, May 6, 2022. Let's get you into sports real quick. NBA tonight, uh, Miami Heat versus Philadelphia 76ers. You can catch that at 6 p.m. Central Time. Uh, also tonight, Phoenix Suns versus Dallas Mavericks. You can catch that at 8.30 p.m. Central Time. Uh, today in ba- baseball, Cubs versus Dodgers here at Wrigley Field, and that's 1.20 p.m. Central Time. Uh, White Sox at Red Sox at 6.10 p.m. Central Time. And finally for baseball, Diamondbacks home versus Colorado Rockies at 8.40 p.m. Central Time. It may be baseball season, but it's not feeling like baseball season because it is rainy and wet with a high chance of precipitation throughout the entire day. Uh, also that, cold, 47 degrees, a high of 53, and a low of 46. Uh, in Phoenix, different story. Mostly clear skies, 70 degrees, high of 99. I can't even imagine that right now. And a low of 69 degrees. Uh, in traffic now, uh, heavy traffic westbound on the Kennedy between, uh, after Foster Avenue between Cumberland. Uh, and that's caused by an accident between exits 80 and 79. That was reported at 4.06 this morning. It's still causing delays. Uh, traffic eastbound on the Eisenhower between Wolf Road and Austin Boulevard. Slow down northbound in Stevenson between South Central and South Kedzie. And finally, traffic westbound on the Dan Ryan after Roosevelt Road up to West Monroe. Not too bad, but not going to get any better. Oh, that's all we got, Chief. Back I, to you. I did find out one thing, uh, Kevin. If you're the congressman from the 1st District, your license plate is number one. That's the 1st District. What license? You mean like your Illinois license plate? Yeah. Not bad. See, I, I always thought, it says congressional, you know, on there, U.S. Congress. I always thought, wasn't uh, traditionally license plate number one, wasn't that for the uh, Cardinal of Chicago? I have no idea. I think it was forever, and I, and I don't know, I'm not so sure. There was a guy who didn't drive, so maybe they stopped doing that, I don't know. But it was traditionally, that was the uh, Cardinal's limousine. Just saying. Well... I don't know. People tell me I'm number one all the time. Yeah, well, that's with the middle finger, though. <laughs> Just so. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm pretty confident that when people start waving to me, they're gonna, you know, like at, at the school, they're gonna start waving to me with all fingers extended pretty soon. Um, with, with Mr. Mr. Matt Byrne is is a, is young young and compared. Right. Uh, you don't you don't remember this, but way back in the day in uh, Monday Night Football. Hmm. They had a guy, uh, well, it was a kind of a boring game. It's a fourth quarter. It's back when Dandy Don and, uh, was it, was it Don Meredith? Oh, Dan, Don Meredith and, uh, w- w- the announcer was who? Uh, he was, he's, he just, just retired, uh. Frank Gifford and Howard Cope. Yeah, well, they, the game, there's a whole section there with, with a game, uh, and there's one guy sitting there, and he's, if you don't remember the, the post Vietnam look, but the guy's got the, the green, you know, uh, what, what do they used to call it? What, they weren't camouflage, Kevin, but they were the, that's the color people wore. Like, if you ever watch MASH or something, they all wore that kind of weirdo olive green. So he, he's got this olive green thing on, he's got the beard, and he's got the hat, and, uh, and he's sitting there all by himself. Somehow or another, he figures the camera's on him. He just flips the camera off. And it, there's no way they could cut away from it. It was all live. So Dandy Dan goes, Howard, I think he thinks his team is number one. <laughs> <laughs> what a great life. Anyway, Kevin, I was talking about, I'll finish this up real quick, is... When you start to get a situation where all those automakers, by the time you and I were, were old enough to consider driving and stuff, the last ones to go were like Packard and Studebaker, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Packard yeah. made it to 1958, 50, somewhere in there. 
And Packards were, for a long time, were, were the best cars, not Cadillacs, right? I mean, uh, I mean, in the early 50s, I think he wanted to pay. Anyway, but so we're down to, we're down to three automakers, which by anybody's stretch is, is an oligopoly, right? Uh, cartel, whatever you want to call it. And, uh. Well, we, we, it was actually five, wasn't it? Wasn't it five? Well, you had Rambler. And you had well, G- GM, American Motors, well, uh, Chrysler. Well, that's what American, that's what Ram- uh, American Motors came out of Rambler. They became American Motors. No, American Motors was separate, and then they wound up getting bought by Chrysler. And uh, I'm saying American so Motors, AMC was. They, they, but they were, they were, so, they were what Rambler became, became AMC, and then, and then they bought Jeep, right? So there, there were, there were a couple others out there, but it was basically the big three and a couple of schmoes, because no Jeep was real small back then, right? It was just it was the CJs, and then when you had a big wagon here, but they didn't sell crap. Basically, I had a couple of them. There was like one Jeep dealer in the whole city. Anyway, the the point being is when it, when a union enters that sort of a deal, uh, you know, they the, they don't have near the power of the I mean, going up an oligopoly or a cartel is is a tough duke. Kevin, is what I'm saying, and that's what Milton Friedman always wanted to study. How did the power actually lay? How much power did the unions actually get? I mean, it was I mean in terms of of, of share because you were. The cars was a very profitable business, you know. To this day, it pretty much is. But it was a profitable business. And it's you know, it's not sixty percent margin like you know uh, Apple or something like that. But it was they made money. And when I say made money, Kevin, the people who work there up the the upper echelon did very very well. Let's put the, there was money to share between the management, the shareholders, and and the people who worked the line. Correct. And so basically, we were talking yeah. about earlier. It's a fight over who gets what. And I think in today's world, the shareholders are the ones that get crap. They don't get anything. I mean, how many companies do you see where the chairman, maybe the founder, but but the chairman, maybe not even the founder, is is you know has gotten bonuses and stock options and stuff to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars before the place before the place pays their first dividend? We we could probably rattle off 30, 30 companies like that if we thought about it. I mean, it, it was unconscionable back in the '60s that you would you would you would give nothing to your shareholders at that point, and you would make that kind of money. I mean, Pullman made it paid a strong dividend, well, and, and and part of that is because it, it's the consequences of the rewards. When you're giving out all those stock options, then stock appreciation is everything, and nobody cares about the cash flow from it. Um, so, yeah, because the uh, the senior management's motivation uh, is built around. You know, increasing the the dollar value of the stock so that when they want to cash out, they cash out big. Um, it it is not mot- a motivation to share. So uh, again, it's the unintended consequences of something that was that when it was invented was supposed to be an incentive that would make everybody look out for the company over themselves, and ins- and they just found a different way to look out for themselves. Well, if you walked in any of these board meetings and you suggested a dividend versus a stock buyback plan. I mean, you just you just put off a stink bomb in church. I mean, you, you're never getting back in that room, right? I would think not. Yeah, <laughs> but so Kevin, let's, let's let's talk a little bit about yesterday, which I'm going to do obviously a lot with Carl. But how does? Yeah. By the way, you got to you got to work into the bumper music. Um, you you definitely have to work in somehow uh, the the. Uh, um, the the lines out of uh, Apocalypse Now where they're going, the horror, 
star. Oh God, yeah. Well, there's there's, there's a few of those we could uh, we could come up with some of the old movies. We have to admit, we'll put we'll put yeah. Matt Byrne on the job. He's good at stuff like that. I'm on uh, the case now. He's on the yeah. case. Uh, yeah, yeah, Apocalypse Now, the horror. You'll find it. It's good. Well, Kevin, we've had people making no money in the bank for a long time now. You know, and all the story always was. I mean, it was, it was Kramer who I, you know, beginning to really wonder what the hell the guy's doing. Uh, talks about you know you you're still forcing people into the market. The market's still a place to be. Inflation's already turned the other way. What what is what is this? When when you get on national TV, how do you get sucked into this? I have to be part of the putting salve on the population story. Why can't you just tell the truth? I mean, what? Don't be, it's not good TV I, or what? I don't know. I do. I do catch people once in a while. In, in fact, I, I forget whose show it was on last night, but there, uh, it, it was. Uh, it was probably on a Fox Business show. But the, you know, the guy was saying, like "People keep saying inflation's turned. It hasn't turned. You know, has anybody seen the price per barrel of oil? Does anybody know what impact that has on on prices? Does, and 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 now they're talking about dumping more cash in with student loan forgiveness and things like that." Is it, who thinks this is over? <laughs> who thinks it's peak? Well, I would say that the first person who, who brought that up, but in, in a much more rigorous manner, was me. Because I actually think that in the last, for two years, we had money supply growth in the 20% range. Then it dropped to the 13.5% range. And this is all abysmally way too much, right? In the last two months, it's down to like 4, 4%. On an annual rate, Kevin, and we actually have stopped growth of the balance sheet over the last four or five weeks. Uh, so, I think that there is a chance that if you look at the money supply growth, the next because of the lag time involved, the last month, this month, maybe the next couple months, will be the actual monthly peaks in terms of one point three percent last month unadjusted. I bet we get another one like that this month, but that doesn't mean that we're anywhere close to having the whole thing go all the way through the system and having it go down to a spot where we don't... I, I think there actually might have been a peak, but the peak is not the peak these guys are talking about, where they look at used car prices and say, well, they've stopped going up, that kind of... That's it, not what I'm talking about. It still has, has yet to flush its way through our ridiculous system, the CPI and everything. But I think if you actually looked at the money supply growth that's caused it, it, it has already peaked. Now that's that's totally different than the message you're hearing from those guys, and yet it's the same. I'm saying the same thing, but I don't mean the same thing at all. But I think you you understand what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, basically, the what the the message that you're getting from some people is still that it's transitory. It's just high transitory. Yeah, that's not. And, and like you say, if all of a sudden they decide to do something with the student loans. And the, and the Federal Reserve has to pour more money in to do that. The money supply growth is going to increase again, and we're right back on the same horse. But if if they keep it at a three and a half to four percent growth rate for the next two years, we will eventually work our way down to something more normal. There's no doubt about that in my mind. But it's but I'm the same guy who said when you were pumping twenty percent in there, expect it to happen. When these guys are all saying, "What are you talking about?" I'm, I'm, I'm telling the same story I've been telling for, for five years. And I'm, guess what? I've been right so far. 
I mean, you just follow the money supply numbers, and you can follow the inflation numbers. Just put eight months on top of it, or six to twelve somewhere in there. It's it's been that way since the Romans, for God's sake. It never changes. And yet we have. But by the way, where's the lady who said money supply doesn't matter? Her book doesn't make it doesn't create inflation. We haven't heard from her in a while, have we? And she, but she's on Biden's. No, council. we haven't. She is. She's no longer the darling of the um, uh, of MSNBC. But she's also on. Uh, she's still on Council of Economic Advisors of Biden, isn't she? Yeah, they've got a really great advising team, don't they? Yeah, it's it's pretty special. Um, so what is what does this mean? I I have uh, I'm not going to talk out of school much here, but uh, there's some people that I've been working with and uh, uh, that have a lot of these bigger companies, right? Um, I mean, to think that Apple is not everybody's you know favorite stock in the history of God uh, is is understatement. I mean, people, it's, it's the it's the altar of Apple. And it's changed a lot of people's lives, putting money in there and never, never looking back and just putting more money in one. It's, it is the example really of the one stack, uh, portfolio that was a success. Now, how many stacks have, have come and gone in the meantime and Apple's one of them? Well, has made a success. The answer is yes. I mean, uh, Amazon to a certain extent was for a while, although I don't think as long of a time. Now, there's a person that I've, you know, once in a while talk to is 150 shares or thereabouts of Amazon and he said you know what about this? I said well you know if, it's actually like 3500 I said well if you wanted me to I, the 50 shares the extra the odd lot's a problem I said because I can't really if you if you buy well you could buy two puts but you'd be over over uh, insuring but I can't sell two calls because you're not covered so you should figure out whether to either make it to 200 shares or 100 share. I mean, that's up to you. I mean, I, you know, I don't give that kind of advice to people because that kind of, they, they love these companies and that, that's what they want to do. So finally, one day, I, he says, well, you know, why don't we just sell the extra shares, go down to 100, and if you want to buy a put, let's buy a put. Well, I said, okay. So the next morning, I get an email uh, before the show even starts. Oh, no, I have a change my mind. I don't want to sell on Amazon. God's sake, Kevin, 150-some shares. The stock's down $1,000. That's $160,000 on 150-some shares. I mean, the, the, the losses people are taking, everybody loves this NVIDIA. Kramer named his dog NVIDIA. NVIDIA. The stock's down $100 in four weeks. God's sake, Kevin, you got 1,000 shares. I mean, even if... I know people say they bought it at... Oh, one thing... Um, there's only... There's a couple of things that uh, you can learn from a, uh, a former trader, now money manager, a guy like me. And don't, it's not about stocks going up or down on any given day, because I, I'll tell you, I don't listen to myself, for God's sake. I mean, I, I, when I started, there were four stocks in my pit. The idea of me telling you this one's going up or down every day, it lasted about two days, Kevin. I said, well, that's not going to happen. But the point being, you, you can learn a couple things. One is, always price your stack as if you bought it today. And, 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 the, and if you say I bought it at 100, and now it's 300, but now it went back to 200, it's okay. I'm still up 100. No, it's not. You're down. You're down 100 from when from when you told me about it. If you could have got out of it at 300, yeah. it's like it's like going like playing blackjack and saying it's the house's money. And I say no. If if you can pick it up and walk out the door without security coming after you, it's not the house's money. It's yours. This idea that you that you owe these stocks anything, Kevin, you don't owe them a friggin' dime. If, if it's too if, if it's too cheap, you want to buy it. If it's too expensive, you want to sell it. That's what I think about stocks. 
And yes, that's, that's about right. Yeah. And, but there are you know, there are some companies. If you get the right ones, that are going to grow and they're going to have good management for a 10, 15, 20 year period. You can take the ride and be happy that that's America and that's what happens. But that ride is getting harder and harder because it seems like management gets paid off before you do. It doesn't seem like there's too many of these. I look at, I'm looking right at the one I got my screen here, Lululemon. And I happen to think these guys have done an amazing job in an apparel industry, Kevin, for God's sake. I mean, you, how, how, how can you say anything bad about them? Other than the fact it's a 40 PE apparel company. Well, actually, now, now it's down probably to 35. It's down from 400 to 342. But I mean, is, is it priced right? Is it a buy there? It's not about whether you like the stuff or you like the management. Are they sharing with me? Are they making $50 million a year and never paying a dividend? So no matter what happens, I never share. I mean, these are the questions you have to ask. It's nothing to do with, with this, 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 what do you, I want to, I want to call it like, uh, the, the management of the TV, the, the chairman. You'd be a fall in love with the chairman. He's not God. He's a, he's a business guy, right? I mean, my he's YouTube. a business guy, and 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 when he goes home, his his teenage kids still look at him and go, "God, damn, do you suck?" Yeah, and not only about it. But right now, they're all good at one thing: at making sure they get their share. I mean, our our, our buddy uh, Eric May, uh, he was the first guy on the show that said, "Time, it's his management class that's the problem." These people that didn't invent the place, <laughs> they didn't they didn't make they didn't invent the product, but they think they're owed everything. And, and he goes. And well, it, it's it is it is like they they believe by uh, ascending to a senior management job that you're an owner of the company, and you're not, and you're still, you know, you, I mean, people lose sight of the fact that you know we're at all levels we're supposed to be servants to to people to employees and so on, and and when you. You know the the companies the companies are supposed to make money, but money is really what fuels what the companies do. So what the focus really needs to be is: Do I make great products, provide great services, those kinds of things, and uh, and then what's an appropriate reward for doing it? But I, I I do believe you're right that there are a number of management teams in in very much so in large corporations. Who feel that their mission is to accumulate wealth for themselves? Oh, without a doubt, and, and that this is a vehicle for doing it. And that's, you know, that's not what there's. If they happen to get paid on the way, cool. You know, that's good for everybody. But that's not, you know, it, it's not supposed to be your uh, reason for being. And and unfortunately, for many, it is. Well, one of the uh, I have a couple things to say. One of the guys who he wasn't the the chairman who actually was on the show a lot with Dr. J and I. That actually uh, got the board of trade to sell out to the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, but there was a chairman before him, one or two, and I don't know the name, so I can't. It's not like I'm hiding the name. I, for, I forgot the name. In his contract, which I happen to hear about, his contract that if if the co- if the board of trade got now the board of trade's been here since was it 1865 or seven or something, Kevin. As soon as the I M Canal opened, the board of trade opened. And Chicago became the the place where you traded corn and wheat and soybeans, and uh, so the thing had been in business basically 150 years, or 140 years, or all it was. The guy signs a contract, and the the, the stupidos, if, if the if he was able to sell the place at more than the current price, he was going to get a bonus of like 25 percent of the entire mu- amount over, or 10 percent, or 20, the entire amount over the current price. 
What, what what did he do to deserve that? How many thousands of people have worked to build the Board of Trade to what it was? How how did he get in one day worth twenty percent of all that appreciation? I mean, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, you know, you know where the only place where something like that would be appropriate is if you're taking over a, a dying company, a bankrupt company, yeah. or something and you're willing to commit to the turnaround, then I could see a very handsome equity reward there. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I, I, you know, and I've, I've lived this in a lot of my uh, stops in corporate world and had a lot of conversations with presidents where, you know, we were talking about wh- what's the line between compensation and lining, you know, appropriate compensation and lining your pockets. And in many cases, this, these, you know, these have been very ethical presidents. In some cases, not so much. Well, everybody, you know, people always basically rag on people doing what we're doing, Kevin, uh, talking about problems and complaining and not having a solution. But I, I have a very, not a solution for everything, but I have a, a very strong opinion on a solution in the corporation's case is whatever individual people are paying taxes or people with, uh, uh, what do you call it, LLCs or whatever else, Everybody should pay the same rate, especially when the Supreme Court says that the that the uh, corporations are is a, almost like a regular person. But I would do one thing: I would I would I would let them deduct dividends so that they don't so they're not double taxed. So Warren Buffett can't say the reason why I keep all this money and never share is because uh, we get paid. You have to pay two tax two taxes if it goes your way. Where if the stock goes up, you only have to pay once. I, w- I would eradicate that immediately. So take the, the the corporate rate. What do we pay? Thirty one, thirty three. So whatever it is, you raise the corporate rate to thirty three, and you get to deduct dividends. And I, I, you, you would uh, then your 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 uh, shareholders would would not have that thrown back in their face all the time. They wanted to share. They they because they, you couldn't say, well, look at it kills you tax wise if I do that. It won't. They only pay once. So yeah. I. The problem is, of course, once a tax gets into place, it's hard to make it go away. Well, but I'm saying, the, the, whatever it is, the idea that a corporation pays less than you or I is crazy anyway. Why should they? When the reason why they pay less is because if they pay dividends, those guys have to pay again. I'm saying, cut that piece out of there. Let let them pay the same amount, and if and the day they declare a dividend, they get to deduct it whenever they de- declare it. So if if you make yeah, and, uh, and you know and you know you know what the demagogues are going to say what it's going to be tax cuts for the rich, tax cuts for the corporations. Well, it's and that. It's it, that. It, not not that we don't do that anyway, but you know it, this is why we you know this is why we can't <laughs> this is why we can't have nice things. I mean, neither one of us because the jerk the jerks ain't going to let us. Well, but but think it through. The company makes a hundred million dollars. They pay it all out in a dividend. They have no taxation because they don't have anything left. And if you if you're the guy getting a hundred million dollar check, I don't know any way to dodge a dividend tax. Do you? It's right there. Nope. I, mean, there's, I mean, it's I, there's one tax you can't dodge. I don't, I don't think. I mean, where's Bob when we need him? But uh, I mean, I, how, how how does how is that how's this one a bad? I, I mean, I don't get it because it's it, because what they're going to tell us is it's a big tax cut, a big tax break for corporations. That's what we're going. That's what you're going to hear from Elizabeth Warren. That's what you're going to hear from you know you, you know Joe Biden, talking heads, etc. 
Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, nobody's going to talk it all the way through. They're going to zoom in on one area of it, and that's, that's why it's going to be considered bad. That's why it's going to get trashed in media, in, uh, in public discourse, and, uh, and that's why we suck. Well, but that, that's, but that, that's why these companies are so big, is this is, this is the reason why, how they can come back to you and say, that's why I'm not giving you the money. I mean, what, what, I mean, does Microsoft really need, or Apple, you know, how many billion dollars they have sitting in the till? That's the shareholder's money. Right? Or where am I wrong? Well, and I think as a shareholder, I expect them to reinvest a certain amount of it, but, um, but not all of it. Well, the, the investment, and this was, well, we, uh, we'll talk about this on, uh, next Wednesday, because the formulas aren't the same, or are the same. Nothing's changed since I was in business school, I don't think, except me. Uh, <laughs> and all the people in the class with me, and all the, all the teachers that are dead, I guess they've changed. Kevin, well, Kyle should be interesting today. Thank you very much. SP Futures down 20. Yeah, we're no respite here. Uh, NASDAQ Futures down 82. Be right back, Mr. Kyle Denninger. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body, too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. I love stocks and jocks. Smells like victory.
<laughs> well, welcome back to Saxon Jacks. Somehow, Matt Burn on the board. SP Futures down 18. SA Futures down 74. Does the snack market look like victory to you right here, Carl? Uh, you know, why that was so interesting was the reaction after Powell's. You know, well, it wasn't so much the announcement. It was the press conference was when everything really took off, right? Yep. And. I, I was listening to him live when it when you know he started to open his yammer and and you know up she goes and I, and I thought about this as, and the first thing that comes to mind is every single one of the people trading this thing right now are insane they're, they're nuts because well you just listen to the the media reaction oh that was very dovish yeah well um. And by, and by the way, um, you know, Kudlow, of course, had to weigh in with this. Oh, yeah. Right? Because, you know, because Kudlow, well, you, you know, after being a tout on CNBS, he is one of Trump's financial people. And so, of course, you know, it gives him a microphone because now the opposition party is in power and therefore he gets to, you know, he gets to be a scold. Which, uh, yeah, and that's the, that's the way Washington, D.C. works. That's the way media works. I, it, it, it's always been that way. It's nothing new. But when you when you, you read some of the stuff that he put out the last couple of days, you just sit there and scratch your head and say, so, wait a minute. You were the one counseling Trump to dump all this cash into the economy. And now you're upset that Biden dumped all this cash... Uh, Excuse me. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, he uh, when he I remember him before Obama came in, before the decline of two thousand and seven, two thousand eight. He was a I think he had a regular show on CNBC, didn't he? Or was yeah, it's called Will Kramer. Yeah, but and, uh, but he was I remember it t- vividly that the Bush economy. This is when it started to collapse with the with the, with the uh, all, all the stuff with the mortgages and stuff. What was it? it? Was the greatest story never told? How the economy right. was so much better. And what was the other one? It was the the Goldilocks economy. There was nothing wrong with it. It was absolutely perfect. And I, a month you know, later, it was. It never ceases to amaze me. These people that are supposedly economists, and, and that's what they that's what they allegedly do. Right? And I used to deal with this garbage when I was running MCS. You uh, know, we're talking about the the mid to late nineteen eighty, you know, nineteen nineties here. Okay, they'd always sit there and. And they would tell us over and over again how, you know, this policy or that, which, which, if you follow it on a, on a permanent basis, this is not a temporary thing, this is, this is a policy, this is not a mitigation, it's a policy. You follow this policy, nothing terrible is going to happen. And I sit there and I go, you know what, did you guys fail high school mathematics? When, you know, I mean, does anybody teach exponents anymore? Yeah. <laughs> so they know what it comes back to, right? It goes all the way back to high school level stuff. We're not talking about, you know, calculus and, and differential equations. No, we're, we're talking about basic arithmetic, and nobody, but nobody pays any attention to it. But, you know, one thing that, that I think is, is fascinating is that for the average schlub, and this is something that, that I just I put up on Twitter the other day, it's been bantered around in my forum some as well. For the average slub, what do you got? You got a 401k, which is rapidly turning into a 201k. And I, and I, you know, I'd said, be careful. This is, you know, I've been saying for a while, don't be surprised if we don't trade, if, if we trade 
1576 sometime next year or two. Um, and, and of course, yeah, I've had plenty of people say, well, you know, you were predicting the end of the world in 2009. I said, no, in 2009, I just didn't think we were going to see that sort of reaction. I thought we would continue to find actual value and the people that were overloaded would go bankrupt. Well, that's not what happened. The government bailed everybody out and we blew another bubble. The market reversed and it, and it took off like a rocket ship. And oh, by the way, all this stupidity goes all the way back to then. Well, now, if, you think, if you think about it, it goes back we, to 68 is when it all started. Well, so yeah, I mean, you know, you can keep going, right? I mean, you, you, you can always find the, the, the idiot in front of the current idiot who did something terrible. Right. And so that's, you know, it is what it is. But now here we are in the, in the here and now, and people are like, well, you know, everything's on sale because, you know, this company is, you know, so, I mean, you know, you look at, you look at a firm like uh, GE or Dow Chemical, and people are like, well, you know, GE's off 25%, I won't buy it today. Well, wait a minute. Um, how much, what does GE have on for leverage internally? Can you actually get your arms around where it really is and how much it is? The same thing with Dow Chemical. I, I'm not saying, Either of those is a bad business or not. I used to own both. I sold them both in January because I smelled this sort of thing coming. I could buy them back right now. Well, not Dow. Dow is actually very close to its high. But GE is off almost 25%. This is after the reverse and, split. So you got go, to figure out what the value is of GE here. you got to be pretty clever because would they reverse split? 10 to 1 or something? Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, take it, take it the other way around and, you know, there you go. But, I mean, on the other hand... When, when the when the virus hit, there were a bunch of these companies that were absolutely on sale because uh, you know you tell me who's not going to need um, uh, you know the, the products that Dow Chemical produces, right? right. I mean, I, yes, we are. Yes, we're going to consume them. Uh, they're a manufacturing concern for the most part, and so uh, you know there you go. GE is tougher because GE is all intertwined between essentially power and jet engines. Those are the two primary businesses, if you really want to look at it. Um, it and most of what people think of as GE really isn't them anymore. You know, I mean, I've, I've dehumidified my basement has a GE label on it. They don't make it. It's, it's manufactured in China. And if you take the cover off of it, the internal of that one, the one made by Hair, the one made by Whirlpool, the one made by Frigidaire, they're all identical. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, the only difference is who put a label on it. Well, GE is not a manufacturer of those products anymore. They, they, you know, they used to make them. Well, they don't do light bulbs, years they don't, ago, but they not today. No light bulbs, no appliances, none of the stuff you thought was GE. Right. I mean, you know, I you could have a you could have a Frigidaire refrigerator. It's not actually made by Frigidaire. You know, it's, that sort of stuff is everywhere. But when you boil it down, what do these companies do? And and are they? And then you have all these firms. Good God. The, the number of them is, is too numerous to count, all right? I mean, you could you can go all the way from from places like Salesforce to Moderna, if you want yeah. to. Shopify. They're essentially asset-less yeah. firms. They don't have assets. Well, you go right down the list. Shopify, you, you could name probably, uh, you know, I, I don't know that much. I don't really deal in those stocks that much, Carl, but even I can rattle up probably 10 or 15 if I thought about it. And, and if I looked up at my screen where all the guys that I help out and see all the, the stuff up there that I look up <clears throat> for these other guys and just go down the list of the 100 stocks I have up there, I'll bet there's 30 of them in there. Well, yeah, and, and the thing is is that all they actually have on their book, when you really get down to it, is intellectual property, or so they claim. All right? I mean, that's, the, that's what they claim has the value. 
but but that's all that's there. There is no hard. There's no asset base behind any of these firms, and the the biggest issue I have always had with that sort of model is how do you put a valuation on that? Because the entire thing, when you get down to it, it's all cash turn and cash flow, and that's it. And as soon as financing comes into that game, and you have you have to remember that the thing about a a declining interest rate environment over long periods of time is that you can literally run a cash furnace and show good financials. Oh, yeah. you, you can literally burn hundred dollar bills as your business, and yet when you look at the quarterly reports, yes, you will notice that the leverage continues to ratchet higher and higher and higher. But the actual earnings numbers look perfectly good. There's nothing wrong with them, and your stock price is going to continue to go up and go up and go up because you can do that, and you have not produced a single thing. Well, you can also, if you get in trouble on the leverage, if you can, if you have a big enough name and a good enough PR, you can go into the market and pick up a couple hundred million to help your leverage out. And well, that's, exactly, more. that's exactly the point. Is yeah. that you don't pay any money for it because the you know the interest rates continue to come down. So every time those Every time those bonds that you issue come due, you can roll them over at a cheaper price. And so you can keep the leverage on without ever retiring it, without ever actually using it for something productive, and the carrying cost goes down over time. Now, that's backwards. That, what that is is a statement from the marketplace that time has negative value. Well, I mean, I, I'm going to say that six months ago, if we sat for two hours after the show... And had well, a couple of younger guys that I'm, I'm with are probably better at it. Uh, we could, I, I think we could name 25 stocks. They're they're trading 200, 300, 350, $400 that have you know uh, they're they're a bunch times revenue and they're at least 50 to 100 times PE and and people think they're worth that because that's where they're trading. Well, I, well, obviously that's what yeah. people think they're worth at a given point in time because you know somebody's paying for it right at that price. But it's like everything else. The last barrel of oil that you want to burn today sets the price for all the other ones. The last share of stock that somebody buys today yep. sets oh, yeah. the price for all the other ones because hey. that, that's that's what that last schlub thinks it's worth. And that's, that's all it is when you get down to it. And the biggest, the biggest problem is that when you go emitting credit like this, everyone says they're printing money. You cannot print money, just like you can't print a chicken. You can't print a gallon of gasoline either. What you can do is print credit, and it's, you know, I, I tell people, I take the very basic example. Of if all you have in the economy is two things, 100 bushels of corn and $100, and that's it, nothing else, the, the clearing price of a bushel of corn is going to be about a buck. All right, Carl, you say this all the time, and I I always say they're printing money. All right, so walk me through the, I mean, I should know this, I'm more of the nuts and bolts of this, because I used to hang with all the Fed guys, and they actually used to come to work. There's a shot, huh? Uh, the Fed decides to go out and buy, to put money in the system today, and they go out and they buy $10 million worth of five-year bonds. That's what they're buying today. Right. All right, so they... Somebody who sold them the bonds is going to get a check. Correct. So where does the money come from if they don't just... I, I always thought that they, they wrote a check and it cleared because they're the Fed. Well, that's... Yeah, but... but Okay, you, you gave away the answer to the question with your first statement of what the Fed did. Where'd the bond come from? Well, it came, came from the uh, 
open. It's in the money. It's in. It came from your account. No, but no, but where the where the no where did the bond come from? It originally came from the treasury. Ah, okay. So, why did Treasury issue a bond? Because they needed the money, obviously. Correct, because the because Treasury did not tax right. the funds they wanted to spend. All right, I get all that. What, what, what I'm saying is, Carl's got an account at PTI, and uh-huh. you, you want to sell your bond for a hundred thousand bucks. Just just happens to cross with the Fed who's buying that particular bond that day, so you sell it to the Federal Reserve. Correct. You, the thing's going to settle the next day, and Carl's got the 100000 bucks in his account, or else you're mad at me. Uh, the money came from somewhere. So the Fed obviously wrote a check with no money before, and now the bond's on the balance sheet and the money's in the system. Right, well, yes, but the money went into the system when the Treasury sold the bond in the first place, when they issued it. And, and and it wasn't money that got put into the system when they did that. It right. was credit. All right, but I'm talking about when the Fed goes an open market operation. They actually I, I are. understand, but, yeah. but the two chief, the two money and credit are fungible. They're exactly the same in terms of economically what they do. Well, the nine million dollars on the balance sheet is money that that they made up. It's, it's just like a greenback, only it's not cash. Correct. Um, it's uh, well, essentially, yeah. But the only reason they can do that is because Treasury authorized it. Oh, sure, I, I understand that. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. So, so the thing is, what you're basically saying is that the Fed's decision to apply whatever balancing formula they have between money and credit in the system, which, which, I mean, that's by congressional charter, that's part of their job. Okay, is to do that. I would argue. I would argue that the, that the indispensable part of their job is clearing payments. It has nothing to do with oh, balancing money supply. But if they right. take a bond, a bond off the balance sheet and go out and sell it, like if they actually want right. to drop money out of the system, that money disappears into the black hole from which it came out in the first place. Correct. Well, yeah, that's because it's credit. It's not money. <laughs> well, but it, it has to become money because you got paid. It was your bond. Well, I'm sorry, yeah, it's, again, in, in a debt-backed currency system, which all modern systems are, the, the, the two, money and credit, the entire point of them is that they're fungible. You, you as a seller of cars or of corn or of tomatoes, you care not which it is you actually received. I understand that. What I'm saying is, all you care, yeah. all you care is that when you go to put gas in your car after you get done selling your tomatoes, that. But when they, but when they go to, I'll pick a name, Citigroup, and buy a thousand mortgages, when they were doing the mortgage-backed security, they right. are they are wiring the money to Citigroup. Citigroup, right. yeah. So. Yeah, and, and but the th- the thing is this is that the so when when you look at what that comes down to. Where, where credit emission becomes inflationary is it, it, if you take an asset and sequester it against every dollar of credit that gets issued, it's essentially been taken off the market. It cannot be sold because it's encumbered. Then that does not have an inflationary impact in the direct sense. Now, can it influence what people choose to do? Sure. But when you have that, and there is an actual asset that has real working value behind it, the inflationary impact is muted or non-existent. The problem 
is that all of the deficit spending that government does is never backed by right. It was, yeah, it's not backed by anything. That's my, that was that's my point. That's why I, I I clumsily asked the question. Hey, I got two things I need to talk to you about before the numbers come out because then we have all kinds of stuff. We we oh, can yeah. talk for two hours. Uh, the, the worker productivity number fell seven point five percent in the first quarter. When it when those numbers started to go kind of squirrely, Carl, back in the day, you essentially the formula is you take the amount of goods that you sold divided by the amount of worker hours, and that's your productivity, right? But the formula is kind of sloppy, and that if all of a sudden you don't make any blue jeans anymore, they're all made in China, your your productivity is like infinite, right? So how, how do well, you... yeah, there's 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 challenges there with it. There's challenges in a you know in a few other things. I, the essentially what you what you saw in that labor in the productivity and cost number, um, which uh, when you want to talk about making these you know set up straight, that was a big one. Um, is that what we have had in this country over the last two years is a wild festival of various people abusing other various people under whatever argument it might be. Okay, so you know, okay, we had a virus. Um, the virus itself did not commit any abuse of anyone other than the fact that, you know, it might assault you and make you sick, but the virus did not abuse people. It was, it was the reaction that was abusive. And now what you're seeing out of all of this is that between that and the inflationary impact of government policy, which has come out of the last, specifically over the last couple of years, although certainly it was before then too, is that People are starting to look at, okay, why am I putting forward a maximal effort when I don't get any of it? Well, that's the truth, yeah. Uh, and so what you're seeing is people saying, you know what? I know that my boss isn't going to can me because the labor market is tight and it's hard to find somebody who can actually uh, you know, tie shoelaces in the morning. So... I'm going to do whatever the minimum level of work is, and, and we are drifting closer and closer to the old Soviet Union saying, which was, I'm going to pretend to show up to work, and you're going to pretend to pay me. Well, but, but there's, there's things, the way this, this number is calculated. I did some of this when we were in grad school so long ago, Carl. There, there's ways this number is calculated that if, that if businesses are actually starting up again, let's say... Some businesses are because of the supply chain issues are actually starting up. That is right. a huge detraction on any sort of productivity number, correct? Um, so to a limited extent, that's true. But the, so, you know, the definition of productivity improving is, of course, doing more with less, right? Yeah. And that's, and that is always the goal of any business operation. And, and one of the things that I learned an awfully long time ago and was sort of my mantra when I was running my company is that you never make any money selling anything. You always make all your money in how you buy things. Well, yeah, because the selling and, price... Well, but, can, that, but that goes to the point that it is, it is fundamentally about productivity. If, if From a standpoint of business advancement, from a standpoint of standard of living advancement and the common benefit to society of economic activity, what it comes down to is productivity, figuring out how to do more with less. Spoken, spoken as a guy who obviously was in a competitive industry, 
If you're not, you can charge yeah. whatever you damn well please and pay yourself. Well, your okay, plan. but but chief, that's exactly the point. We've destroyed so much of that, especially right. over the last couple of years, and it's accelerated. It's been going on for you know for decades. Right. But the last couple of years, we we smashed the accelerator pedal to the floor in terms of destroying innovation as the basis of success. Oh, absolutely. We've become, a, we've become a nation where tax farming, figuring out how to rig, rig whatever's going on in Congress. And if you're a congressperson, trading on the inside information that you get from the, the legislative process, and not, and not just yourself, but all your family members are getting fed off this trough as well, you no longer care. Whether or not the car makes a, manages to go another forty miles on the same fill in, a, in the gas tank. Well, let me uh, bring it back a little bit. If you're a a farmer, because we've been talking about the board of trade all morning, you don't ever think you can influence the price of corn. The thing you can influence is is getting two hundred twenty bushels an acre out of your stuff when somebody else gets one ninety. So would, that's right. Would crowd, but if all of a sudden you're Commonwealth Edison. You don't give a crap. You, you go to the state and you raise the price that everybody pays you. It's a whole different world, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you take a look. You know, just uh, I live in Tennessee. Okay, TVA because they've gone woke has decided that the, all the coal-fired plants that they had, and it was a bunch, had to be shut down. No, we cannot put scrubbers on the smokestacks and make them reasonably clean. People would like their light switch to work when they flip it in the morning. And oh, by the way, we, we have a huge push coming from the government that everybody ought to be driving electric cars, which of course means you need more power rather than less. Yeah. And yet, all of this, you know, if, if if I look at where is the lowest cost of generation for energy, uh, that drives my decisions. As technology improves, people people like to make this big thing about in the 1980s until just a couple of years ago. In, on a gross emission basis in the United States, carbon emissions in the U.S. actually went down. Even though we have another 70 million people in this country you over can, that period of time. Get. And the reason it happened is because economics said that it was better off to burn natural gas for energy than coal. And as it turns out, natural gas has more BTUs per mole of fuel consumed and therefore for the same number of BTUs of energy, you produce less carbon dioxide. It's That's all that drove it. That's it. Well, we also have, I still think that we could, if we used our heads, we could get coal clean enough to where we could use a lot of it. Anyway, Carl, well, quick question, right? I told you I had two, and I'm skipping around, I know, because, but I got a whole bunch of them, you know, so, and I, I got to run through them on my, on my Carl time. Uh, every time the market, seemingly every time, the market has uh, goes into a swan uh, duck song here, uh, whatever that is. There's always something hidden in terms of, of uh, like you say, leverage that we don't we don't know about. I'm I'm hearing stories about people having uh, at some of these big firms are getting personal loans with their house included for to buy more stock. Um, this idea of this whole area because I had a couple questions about it yesterday. This this idea that stocks that are they're not IPO'd yet, but they're still trading, and and there's and there's I assume people are lending people money, and I don't know that. And I look at the baseball umpires and that outfit that's lending money for people to buy Bitcoin, and Bitcoin was down. Right. How, how much? How many billion dollars yesterday in value? Where where, where is the sleeping 
you know, the, the sleeping rattlesnake this time, or is it, or, or, or there isn't one? I think it's everywhere, and, and that's that's one of the big dangers is that we have we have taken what is supposed to be a transparent process, where if you, you know if you put if you put paper out into the marketplace, I'm supposed to be able to figure out where it went and, and do some kind of evaluation. You can't do it anymore. And it's 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 literally ended up in every single corner of the economy, and and people have figured out ways to hide that sausage, so to speak, and then pretend like that risk doesn't exist. And so the risk has been priced as if there isn't any. And of course, that's never true. So my my guess is is that, and I mean, you know, you just you just look at how many people have over the last uh, you know month or so have gotten margin called. Um, and how many more are to come? Because you have all these people that were, oh no, happy days are here again. They're always going to be here. And, and I see it in people that I that I talk to all the time. Well, you know, the market's down a little bit, but it, there's no way it's going down on thirty percent. Excuse me. Do you realize that we've had we have had 60, 50, 60 percent declines are not at all uncommon, and we have had a couple of nineties. Well, we went down from what one twenty in the Qs to twenty something in two thousand, right? <clears throat> That's a number. Yeah, well, we do, and you know, it, people people love to look at what happened in two thousand eight, but in fact, the only reason that the only reason that stopped in the first part of oh nine, and it, and if if there's a miss that I had in all the time that I've been commenting on this, it was that it was the day that Congress told FASB that you will allow the banks to make up values for securities on their balance sheets, and if you don't, we're going to put it into law. Oh yeah, I, I agree. All right. Carl, stay off the break here because when we come back, we'll have the labor numbers. SP futures down 15, NASDAQ is down 61. Short break. We'll be right back. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. 
I think it is time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Are you nuts? Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Well, and welcome back to uh, Stocks and Jacks. These uh, numbers are, are, are mystifying here. Four hundred twenty-eight thousand is the whole number in the establishment survey. Uh, but boy, I, I'm looking at the. Uh, Household survey and it tells a whole different story. That's why I have Carl here. SP futures they were, they flew up, but now they're back down five. Nasdaq futures down twenty eight. So like I said we were we were up there for a minute, and now we're we're kind of creeping back down here a little bit again. Um, the uh, well, let's get to the pre market here in this thing. This is a, these are fascinating numbers. Uh, the I got the Dow futures still down ninety five. Over in Asia, we've got the uh, Nikkei up one eighty five point seven percent. Shanghai down 66.2%, but this is a big one here. The Hang Seng down 791 at 3.8%. So, again, very uh, different reactions over there. The DAX down 154, 1.1%. Puts it down 66.9. Kick around down 66, that's a full 1%. Bonds, 10-year, uh, 3.06. The Bund up two basis points to 1.07. Never thought I'd see the, the Bund back over 1% if it were, were, were years, minus 0.65. Uh, Japan 0.25 where they don't seem to ever move from. Yesterday again, horrible day. Dow down 1,063 points. That's 3%. S&P down 153, 3.6%. And NASDAQ down 647. That's a full 5%. Ouch. Uh, oil, buck 54, 109.80. Rent up 175, 112.65. Natural gas down a penny, 876. We've got gold uh, up 870, 18.84. Uh, careful with that because we're down after the show yesterday because we were almost 1,900 yesterday. Silver up three cents, twenty two forty seven. Copper down a penny, four twenty seven. We've got crypto markets. Uh, uh, Bitcoin, well, it's actually back up over thirty six thousand with this labor number, thirty six thousand one sixty six. That's up seventy eight dollars after it was down thirty six thousand a while ago, below thirty six thousand. Matt, what do you got for us? Uh, traffic, weather, sports, uh, briefly, because we have Carl here. Oh, sure thing, yeah. Currently 7.34 a.m. on May 6, 2022. Uh, in weather right now, pff, really rainy out there. It's not a, it's not, it's not a nice time out there. There's a high chance of precipitation throughout the entire day, and there are flood warnings for the counties of Bureau, LaSalle, and DuPage. Uh, right now in Chicago, 47 degrees, high of 53, and a low of 46. In Phoenix, mostly clear skies, 70 degrees, high of 99 degrees, and a low of 69. Uh, in traffic, it's a mess out there. Uh, heavy traffic eastbound Eisenhower between Wolf Road and Damon. Uh, keep in mind a vehicle fire uh, before California at exit 27B. Uh, traffic westbound Eisenhower uh, between Costner Avenue and First Avenue. Heavy traffic eastbound the Kennedy between Cumberland Avenue all the way to downtown. Traffic westbound the Kennedy between North Central and Cumberland. 
Heavy traffic westbound on the Dan Ryan between 31st Street and all the way to downtown. Traffic northbound on Stevenson between Harlem and South Pulaski. And finally, traffic northbound Lakeshore between uh, Stevenson Ramp and East McFetridge Road. So we got, Chief. Back to you. Um, Carl, save me here. I've got 428 that these guys are talking about on TV in a household survey. I've got the, I mean, on the establishment survey, in the household survey, my A1 number that I look at, which you tell me not to look at, this is the worst report I've ever seen. That we're down four hundred thousand in the people that are employed, we're up almost five hundred thousand. People don't know what we're, don't know what we're doing. How how are these two reports the same month? What am I missing? Uh, this is this is a horrid report on the internals. Uh, you you caught a big part of it, which is that on the non-adjusted household numbers, we're neg one fifteen. We're not positive at all. And all, and, and in addition, uh, a million roughly people decided to walk away from the job market entirely. See, this thing, this well, thing's got that at five hundred thousand. Well, I'm plus nine forty on the on the non labor force number. Okay, which is, really? I mean, that's that is a big number. And and this here's here's the thing that's interesting about this. April, uh, historically speaking, is is. You know, outside the pandemic and the obvious you know, impact from that, um, April is not usually a big month for those those sorts of figures. I mean, it's it, it, we do get we do tend to get a a boosted not in labor force uh, number in April, and I'm not entirely sure why, but it tends to go up during that that month. And I it's that one's kind of a mystery to me because there's really like no particular reason why April should be a month for that if you think about it, but. You know, but there it is. On the other hand, the the actual gross job count tends to go up, although not real strongly. And and of course, it, it was up very strongly in the household survey last month. In fact, it was very it was up very strongly in February too. And this month, it's collapsed. So essentially, all that growth is gone. And the really terrible news is actually though in the inside. Everybody except those people with college degrees gained participation ratio last month. Okay. Well, so what is it that that's that's a really bad thing. Okay? Yeah. I mean if you think about it, you have a neg you have a neg one fifteen and yet those those schlubs who had have no education, plus a high school diploma, they didn't lose anything. Those people who had associate degrees, they didn't lose anything. Those people at high school, do, do, you know, diplomas, they didn't lose anything. All the people who lost something were the people that had bachelors or better. Well, I'm, I'm still uh, totally, well, I, I get that. I'm, I'm mystified here. Let me just walk everybody through what I'm looking at. So you have the same mystery in your head and on top of your head than I do. The amount of people we have is roughly the same, 263. We gained 100,000 creatures in an institutionalized Population, correct? Yeah, 110, but yeah, close enough. All right, so we, so we, we've got 400,000, well, 350 less employed, right? Um, the unadjusted household number is neg 115. Right, and we, well, but I'm, but I'm looking at somehow or another between the 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 population and the in the in the civilian labor force. We lost three hundred thousand people, so they're they're in this part where we don't know what the hell they're doing, right? Because the labor force, for those for those that don't know, the civilian labor force is considered the people that are working 
and the people that are unemployed looking for a job, correct? The well, the the not yeah, the the labor force is that number, correct? The non institutional population is everything. Everyone sixteen or older who isn't in a nursing home or jail, basically. Right. So we picked up. We had we had been marching this column. I like to talk about uh, that. We don't know what they're doing, retired or whatever. Since last October, that number has been dropping every single month, and now we get this huge pop back in there of a half a million people. Almost half a million. To we're right back where we were in January. I I don't I can't imagine that happening, Carl. I mean, how, at the same time, these guys are saying four hundred twenty-eight thousand people got a job. Well, they're saying yeah, they're saying four hundred twenty-eight thousand people got a job. But here's the well, that's that's the establishment survey, and it's and it's not only noisy, it's subject to all sorts of fun political machinations because it's not an actual count; it's a survey. Um, the, the the household survey, at least in the in the non seasonally adjusted, is uh, the, the, my uh, my position has always been it's just a cleaner number. I'm not saying it isn't subject to being gamed because it probably is, but it's a cleaner number. It's harder to hide over periods of time. You can distort it for a little while, but eventually you're going to have to reconcile it. Uh, it's very similar, to, you know, what happens with the non institutional population, which is essentially made up for 11 months out of the year, and then in January they, they fix it against the census ACS. So, we, you know, we have to deal with the data you got, okay, whether you like it or not. But there's no, there's no move of materiality in hours worked, the, the work week for production non-supervisory employees has not changed. So normally, what you'll see is when that cha- when that changes, one tick there is a huge number of jobs equivalent in terms of the economic impact. There wasn't any move there, so there's nothing to counterbalance this thing. Uh, and, and for all intents and purposes, what you have is about a million people last month who said, "I I, I understand that there's a help wanted sign on every corner, and people are having trouble. You know, you go to a restaurant, going to anywhere, the service is horrible, and it's not because the people aren't trying; it's because they don't have enough of them." And and yet people are saying the heck with this. I'm going to sit at home and drink beer. I don't. Yeah, I don't know if I. I, mean, I don't know what the cause of it uh, is, Carl. But we had a, a chairman yesterday who was on TV on ad nauseum, telling everybody. Uh, actually, two days ago, uh, telling everybody that there isn't a whiff of a recession in the air because the economy is so strong. First of all, the first quarter numbers are actually down, right? So. All you need is two of those in a row, and you got a recession. I'm sorry, Chairman Powell, but that's that's the definition. This number here, this confirms to me that number, Carl. About this it, 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 well, this this number is congruent with two other numbers that we got in the last couple of weeks, both of which are terrible. And and the first one, of course, was you know was a GDP print, right? And then the second one was labor productivity and costs. Well, uh, and and what this and and what the, this is another one of the series. Look, all all of these so far are saying we're in a recession now. It will not be officially called for another quarter because that's how it works. And then they'll say, well, you know, it began in February <laughs> or January. Or, yeah, no kidding. You, yeah. you look at these numbers, you say, well, that that's a recessionary print. Um, is it a deep one yet? No, but that's how the you know that's how the snowball starts, right? You start at the top of the hill to get bigger as it rolls. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I love pushing back on my buddy Carl. Two things: everybody, when people say that nobody can hire anybody, um, the gross numbers here, Carl, tell me where, where I'm wrong because that's why that's why I ask you on. Uh, 
we're back to more people working than in December of 2019, according to these numbers. So on, on the gross number... No, 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 we're not. We're still off 600,000. I got the end of 2019, I got 157,538,000 employed, and, that, and this number is... One fifty-eight, one hundred five. That's six hundred. Okay. Well, again, off the non-adjusted numbers, and this is why I use them. See, now over that period of time, the adjustment shouldn't—they they shouldn't mean anything, right? Exactly. They're not you, political. Yeah, how can you adjust two and a half years? For God's sake. Well, I, I, I'm just saying. Does Christmas come at the same time every year? Right. Seasonal yeah. adjustment must know on a twelve-month basis. If it doesn't, it's not an adjustment. It's a gain. So uh, the non-adjusted numbers in 504 the print this morning was one fifty seven nine ninety one. Okay, I, mean, I got I got just the opposite, Blake. But well, we'll I understand. But yeah. here's the other thing. Okay, in December of twenty nineteen, we had two hundred sixty million one hundred eighty one non institutional population. We have added, yeah, uh, I, I three it. three and a quarter million people to that. Yeah, we should have more. I I get it, but I just, well, I, right. just I just wonder, uh, Kyle. When I say this, is the the, the different views that. Uh, um, actually, you and I don't really have different views on this, I don't think. But I, I'm, uh, I had this long conversation with uh, Dan Janitas yesterday, and I love Dan. And Dan is, uh, I don't know if I've seen a harder worker guy in our industry that goes from place to place in these mid-level companies and stuff, Carl, and then finds places that are actually paying their bills and are paying bonds. And uh, and he goes there and talks to these guys. And he won't, he won't recommend a place that he hasn't been to, which, which is so refreshing to me. And well, anyway, I love that. But he and I, it's it's, it's interesting. Even even Russell, same way. I was arguing with him. I said, you're, you're an economist where you look at these big numbers. And I don't know, the way I was trained, not not by the people at Notre Dame, but you were, you were in Chicago, the George Stiglers of the world. I, I grew up on the, on the uh, behavioral side, the arts and letters side of economics, not, right. not the business side. And I look at every decision people make everywhere, adding up to the top number. I don't. The top numbers to me are, are nothing but a sum of what people do every day. And I look around right now. I'm going to say that everybody I know. I mean, I mean there's got to be a few one percenters that I know they're having a good year. Everybody I know is in a personal recession. If you if you compare their their spending power to last year, I don't know a soul. And and, and what I I guess my. Uh, niece-in-law was telling me last Sunday that she's a school teacher in a district and she goes, they signed a really crappy contract uh, because of the young people panic because they were on strike for like a week or two and, and voted for a thing. Well, they're <clears throat> making less money than the district over. And one of their most popular teachers says, I'm leaving at the end of the year. I mean, he didn't say I'm leaving tomorrow. He said, at the end of the year, I'm going over to wherever. And they go, God, don't you like it here? He goes, I like it fine, but the, the inflation's 10%, and by the way, I'm getting a 2% raise, and they're going to give me a 20% bump to go over there. And I'm still going to be a teacher. i still got kids. I'm going to like the people there, too. I guess what I'm, what I'm how much of that is going on, and when you talk about a restaurant that can't get somebody, is it because they're, they're paying 15 bucks an hour now to people, and that's all they want there, but they'd be dying to get two other people at 10, they just can't get them. But how much of it is semantics, Carl, is what I'm saying, versus real shortages? Well, so, well, it's it's always cost benefit, right? I mean, you know, I have people that every now and then contact me because I, you know, I'm somewhat of a name in terms of being able to build, you know, analyze internet systems and data processing systems, and for in a relatively rapid amount of time, but not at not for a small price, 
uh, tell you where to go point your your weapons when it comes to making things more efficient and that's i mean that's what we all ought to be doing in business right but the, but the problem is that when you look at it all of this um, I, I look at most of those people that that contact me, and I tell them to go pound sand because it's not whatever it is, whatever else comes with it is not worth it. And a lot of other people in the labor market who are not in that sort of position that don't have you know don't have that kind of experience, they're finding the same thing. And so if if you tell me that you know okay, your job is to do whatever stock shelves, wait tables, whatever it is, and then. We have the last two years come along, and all of a sudden it's it's not so simple as show up sober enough to do your job, and and don't be an idiot. Do your eight hours, get paid, go home. Oh no 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 no! Now it's it's all sorts of other nonsense that has absolutely nothing to do with stocking shelves that you have to do. People eventually turn around and say, you know what, this is abusive. I'm not going to do it, and I don't care. I'll find something else, and maybe. Maybe we have set forth a system where people can quote unquote find something else without actually having to do anything. How many people have been running around saying, "Look at look at the wonderful things that have been happening in my stock portfolio over the last you know year and a half, two years"? I don't have to work so hard anymore. Well, that's obviously the truth, and the the uh, I you know as you yeah, know how's that, how's that work, yeah. Chief? How's that working out the last uh, couple of weeks? Not so good. Well, I, as a <laughs> I, heard yeah. I heard what you were talking about you know earlier. Oh. What do you What do you mean? It's not a hundred bucks, and I, I got a thousand shares. Uh, excuse me, how much is that? Oh, yeah, it's serious money. I mean, it's, yeah. yeah, but I mean, for a while, Carl, I think we've known, and, and I think, to be honest with you, or well, always, always honest with you, I think the Fed has known that the, the the that the place that they've driven us with this bus they're driving, the the whole retirement game. I won't say game. Promise to people is well, you know I've said this a hundred times. I'll be real quick. If if you you and your wife ponied up for the 401k plan and you get some kind of a match. For a while, Carl, it seemed like everybody piled out with like the same number, 900,000, million one, somewhere in there. Sounds like a real lot of money, but if you got no pension anywhere else, it's not. So That's right. So, But the, the deal was, if you had a house paid off, you made the right decisions, maintained your car and all that kind of stuff, you're going to get 35 grand by putting in a bank account or 32, whatever the number is, risk-free rate. And oh, by the way, you're going to get Social Security, which is another 25 or, or 30, maybe you and the wife. So you're talking 65 grand a year, you know, marginally taxable. And if the house is paid off, uh, and you know, you're over 65, so your taxes don't go up that much, your property taxes. You, this is the deal we made. You get, you get a roof every 15 years, you get a new car every seven or eight years. You can live off that, I'm going to say pretty easily. Uh, but now, We've, we've injected a whole bunch of crap into the system in that you've got to pay your kids student loans because or else because they can't afford them. Nobody has the million dollars clean anymore. There's You took something out for this. Somebody had a, a medical problem, so you took something out for that. The money doesn't make it to 65 clean in most cases, which it used to. I mean, it used to 20 years ago when I first started this business. I had somebody like that show up once a week, Carl, a couple with a million bucks. And, uh, and, and now... So the the sole leg of the stool that was the shine. I mean, if you had a nickel, I won't even say I'll say a penny, not even a nickel. For every time some buffoon on TV said, "Well, that's why it's got to be in the market," because no, you you don't take a, a guy who wants, who needs, wants risk free money, and put it in the market. I I can never do that to anybody, Carl. That's why I'm not Morgan Stanley. Well, there's a lot of reasons, but I'm saying. Well, well, I know, but you know, but but here we are, and here we are, and then and, and well, and then. To compound that, 
the number of people I know who are in their 40s and 50s who turn around and refinance a, a real estate purchase, and now they have a note when they're 65 is crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, I listen to, uh, and I, you know, I like all these guys in CNBC in, in that sense on a personal level. Here, they're all really good people. But Joe Kernan one day said the the Fed is now telling you that you've got to go further out on the risk curve, no matter how old or whatever you are. And I'm sitting there going, Joe, if you ever had me on as a guest, which I don't want to be, I'd look you right now and say, Joe, you're a friggin' idiot. If your dad comes to me and he says I'm 75, I got no more business putting that guy further out on the risk curve than a man in the moon. And, and, and if I did it, you should sue me. <laughs> I mean, right? Well, yeah, but you know, but think about the, there are some opportunities to come out of this, though. You know, one of the interesting things I brought the you know some of the people on my forum brought this up, and I I put something on Twitter the other day. I said, you want to know the you, the, the absolute no brain if you have if you have some money on it that you're not going to need to touch until you get older, and I'll define that you, you're you're not going to need to do anything with it for five years. You, you know, right now, I-bonds are paying over 9%. Really? I mean, my brother does all that. He probably, he, he, I'm sure knows. And, and you, you know what the screw job is? You can only buy ten grand of them a year, right? But it compo- the interest compounds, they're essentially zeros because they, they continue to compound. They're savings bonds. You, you cannot take the money out. You cannot touch it for a year. And if you take it out before five years, you get penalized three months' oh, interest. Okay. So th- th- you want to do it with money you're not going to need right away. But the interesting thing is... The taxes and the earnings are deferred, just like a 401k or an IRA account, and yet you can do this on top of your 401k and IRA limits. Really? Okay. Now, this is, now those bonds have been the red-headed stepchild for 10 years because inflation has allegedly been 1%, right? Yeah, that's, that's why I lost track of my brother keeps track of Well, you know what? I paid no attention to them for a huge amount of time for that reason, but now they're paying over 9 Which maybe keeps you even, maybe doesn't. Well, but, but tell me... I mean, tell me where you can get nine. Oh, it is truly risk-free return. Well, Carl, the, the the crazy mess of this whole week is at the at the end of we're well, not at the end in the process of ninety bazillion sh- words spoken about the Fed and how aggressive they're going to be and too aggressive and they're going to ruin the market. Carl, the inflation rate's ten plus and, a, and the Fed funds rate is one. At the end of the at the, at the end of the day, it's laughable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, look, I know, but you know what? The history is, if you take a look at FRED, which is, you know, St. Louis, the St. Louis Fed Reserve's webpage, you can go into FRED and you can pull up Fed funds rate and and the TV, and the bills. And you put those two together on the same chart, and you tell me who moves first. And, and it is not always true that the market moves first, but 90% of the time plus, the market moves and the Fed does whatever the market tells it to do. The Fed does not set policy when you look at the facts as to who's in front of what. And it, the reality is, this morning, right now, the TNX is trading 31.15. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to push back on you here, and I, I bet you agree with me. I'm going to disagree with you, and I bet you tell me I'm right. You are absolutely correct every single time that the market leads the Fed, except this time. Because this time, the Fed said basically, in for a penny, in for a pound. And the, the, the 10-year rates, these rates should have been going up for the last five years based on the inflation that was already going up. You and I have talked about it in the hospital sector. Oh, oh, absolutely, yes. But, but, the, but the Fed said, well, in, in, the, in the 70s, the Fed said, well, we're, you know, it's going up, we, we better roll with it or we're going to screw this up. 
This time, they took a totally different approach. They said, we don't care what it costs in terms of the balance sheet growth. If these two idiots, Carl and Tom, decide they're going to they're gonna sell these bonds because the inflation rate, I mean, no, no, no stupido would put his money to work for 10 years at 2% when the inflation rate's 8. Yet that's where it is. And if these guys, they're traders, they're going to say, wait a minute, I should short these things. Right. I've done this 20 times in the last four years. 17 of them I got shoved right up my ass as, as the Fed went out and put more money in the system and started buying the bonds again. They Oh, absolutely. And, and you know what? I mean, it, it is what it is, right? Yeah. But they never did that in the 70s. They might have done it a couple times. I mean, back when uh, I traded in the early 80s, when Japan and all these people were doing the, the currency stuff, I mean, they they weren't. I don't. I won't say determined or dumb, but you'd see the, the Bank of Japan like buy you know whatever they they buy X number of dollars at, at a certain price. And at the end of the day, they got run over by a truck. They they at, at the end of two or three of those days, at least they were smart enough to say, all we're doing is pissing away money. <laughs> we're, you know, we're we're making the wrong trader. We better just ride with it. This time they said no, Carl. We're going to go from three trillion. To nine trillion, and, and, and if this inflation rate didn't start coming up, they'd gone to fifteen. They don't care. They've decided. I mean, and, and you, how many times are you going to short bonds on, on the next day to have the Fed buy them, and you get them stuck where the sun don't shine before you say, you know, I, I can't do this anymore, even though you know you're going to be right someday. You know, you just right. But how long has it been? It, it, it took them what six trillion dollars to hold these 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 interest rate numbers the way they are. And I'll find oh, absolutely, but you know, here's so you know what I was saying about the T bills, right? So the three the three month bill, if, if you go to Fred and you look at the three month bill, the three month bill right now is trading at zero point seven six. Okay, as of April. Now I don't have a May number yet because it's you know it's monthly close. Okay, but uh, but here's the thing. So you just put half of you just put half a percent on Fed funds, which is exactly what the T bill said they were going to do. The problem is the curve is still going up, essentially straight up, at a, at an absolutely monumental rate, and therefore, no, they're not done, and they're not going to be done for quite a while. But if you take a look at, at 2017, 2018, into into that time frame, and you look at who moves first, the Fed has lagged that particular market and when it rolled over and the fed started to drop rates again okay they you know they went back with more qe yeah. starting in in the middle of 2019 april may time frame the bill turned first okay but even, even a t-bill carol is let, let's be charitable you and i for once in our life let's say our inflation rate is eight we both know it's appreciably more than that but let's say it's eight I happen to think right now it's 16 because last month's number was 1.3. Right. Let's say it's 8. Divide that by 4, which we can do, both of us in our head, that's 2%. Right. Okay, so the so the three-month tree bill, as you said, is what, 0. 0.75? Well, as of April. That's the April because, I mean, you know, Fred, Fred it's a monthly thing. All right, so, so let's say let's say it's 1%. Right. So if I, if I give this money to the government, they've just stolen 1%, 1% from me. Well, it's yeah, exactly. And but if you look at the history on this, on this, so the Fed funds is supposedly an overnight rate, right? Right. 
mean, that's the that's the definition of what that is. It's the overnight lending rate from the Fed. Well, okay, no, it's overnight lending. You it's go over- back and you look at the and you look at this data. You put it up on Max, and then you look at what happens over time. The Fed funds rate historically always trades above the thirteen the uh, the bill. The three months well, back when there was Fed funds, bank to bank. Now I don't know if there is. Well, I'm just saying, yeah. you know, all the way back to the 2008 crash, okay, and and in fact into the maw of it until we got into 2009 and 2010 with it, you know, stupid with with you know pinning rates to the floor and QE and everything else. The the Fed funds rate, with very few exceptions, on a monthly basis, always trades above. Where the, and, and not by little either. Typically, about 50, 50 basis points, so about half percent, roughly, tends to trade, and sometimes much more than that, trades above that three month bill rate. So the thing is, is that when you look at what the Fed historically has done, the Fed has historically followed the market and has historically always been a a worse place to go get money than to just buy the bills or short the bills. Okay, that the the bills are the better as a, as a person transacting. Okay, how about uh, how about next, deal. How about now? Next? It's not. And it hasn't been since we got into 2019. The Fed has been on the back side of this on and on through it, and they are now. Okay, okay but that gonna... implies that we are going to see some significant increases, and we have to because if we don't, inflation isn't going to get cut off. We, uh... The only way to cut it off is for that blue line to go way above the red one. We, all right, we got a dash here, but. We're going to have our buddy Matt here who remembers all this stuff. Have a note for next week. Let's, let's work through the nuts and bolts of this because these guys still toss numbers around from Fed's funds rate. And I know guys who used to do interbank borrowing overnight and they've been retired for a while because there is none of it. Let's walk through where all these things are next week. If you don't mind. All right. Take care of yourself, buddy. We'll we'll leave this up to Matt. SP futures way back down again. 27. NASDAQ futures down 117. So the, the, the blip when the number came out to the plus side was short-lived. We'll be back on Monday, Stocks and Jocks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI ProDirect. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. CairoMed. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968. All right, Brain. You don't like me and I don't like you. Well, let's just do this and I can get back to killing you with beer. <laughs>